Hey, Gen. Hey, Jub. How's it going? <laughs> oh, good. You know, we're uh, we're currently recording uh, Gen and Jub Show episode 100. And uh, it totally wasn't supposed to be episode 100, but let me explain. Yeah. So, you know, yeah. a day, day doesn't go by in, in, uh, in my editing and, you know, compiling podcasting life where something doesn't go fucking wrong. And so when we did our big Get a Job episode 100 live stream on Twitch, which was a lot of fun, by the way, I had a great time, I lost the uh, main audio, so I could not upload it in podcast format. That Twitch stream is now lost to the void. It happened, and now it's gone. Yay. Love when Ooh. that happened. Yeah, that's what the second time this has happened to the Get and Jump Show. I, yeah, I suppose, but that was an easier fix where we just uh, we just re-recorded an episode and we just had to like talk about the same stuff again. And I suppose we could do that for this, but I wouldn't recommend it because that was a long process. Because um, we were, uh, if you didn't know, if you didn't catch it, if you haven't seen on the Twitter, it was a uh, we had a tier list up. And we were ranking every single movie we have seen, all 101 of them, uh, throughout the tenure, I guess, of the Get and Jub show. <laughs> yeah, it's sure. A very prestigious tenure. Pre- the prestige of this uh, shit program. <laughs> Chef's <laughs> and kiss. it was a lot of fun. Uh, shout outs to everybody who joined live as we debated whether. Um, uh, this Texas Chainsaw Massacre movie was worse than this Texas Chainsaw Massacre movie. Um, <laughs> it was. I think it was a lot of fun, and I liked having a definitive <laughs> list, but now that is gone, too, because we didn't think to um, save a screenshot of Maybe you didn't that or anything. Save the list. Well, because yeah, I, I think we just here. assumed that, like, oh, yeah, well, we'll just, it'll be in <laughs> audio format, it'll be in visual format. We were going to do a YouTube version, too, because I, I thought you I thought we'd have a VOD that's not the case either. But, uh, I don't know. That's just gone, and that sucks. But for those of you that were able to tune in live, thank you. Uh, hopefully we can do a live episode in the future that doesn't get lost uh, to hell. Hopefully. Yeah. I don't think it'll happen again. Um, as, as the kids like to say, you know... We learned a lesson today. <laughs> I, I mean, I didn't learn anything because I didn't have anything to do with yeah, it. No, I just I, sat I in learned, my room like always. I learned quite uh, a bit and, and, with uh, yeah. how much Slobs hates Discord streaming at the same time for some reason. I'm mad that we lost the bit where uh, my favorite thing that happened the whole episode is uh, you went to the bathroom for a minute and we, we did a, bit, a brief break. And I got back before you, and I just started rambling about how we should put Tony Hawk on, on the tier list, even though it's not a movie. <laughs> and I rambled about that for, like, two minutes straight. Damn. I was just trying to fill the dead air. <laughs> I'm so sad I missed it. <laughs> and, um, but, yeah, that's gone now. But I'm sure I'll ramble aimlessly about Tony Hawk again. It is the Gen and Jub show. Right. It wouldn't be Gen and Jub without some Tony. Mm. Some Tony in there. Now, for those of you who were curious... Uh, about the contents of the tier list itself. Uh, I don't remember where every movie went specifically, but I mean, I think I at least know like what ones we put in F and what ones we probably put in S, but I think it's fairly obvious just from like, you know, knowing what movies 
we have seen what goes in S because it's generally the ones that are really well respected, well regarded films. Those went into S tier. That makes sense. You know, we weren't putting crap into S tier. <laughs> and then F tier was the ones that, you know, we've bitched about probably endlessly. Uh, your Texas Chainsaw Massacre, the beginning, your Catwoman, your, uh, you know, numerous bad horror films in the Halloween and Friday the 13th series. Although if I think Friday the 13th was generally just the C tier, like it was just like the C tier was entirely Friday the 13th movie. It was like <laughs> all of them basically. <laughs> well, that's kind of how that franchise is. Yep. And then like Texas Chainsaw was like one S tier and then like everything else like close to D or F. Um, I do know for a fact that what we said the best one was and what we said the worst one was was both in the same franchise, which is funny to me. Um, the best movie, according to us, that we have seen was Alien on this show, I should specify. I don't think Alien's my favorite movie that I've ever seen, but it's up there. It's a good movie. And then the worst movie we've seen on Gen and Jub was Aliens versus Predator Requiem, mm-hmm. the second Alien Predator movie. The weak which can't I see mean, movie. yeah, you just can't see that movie. It's so dark that like you just can't. And I, I, <laughs> I think that contributed a lot to us saying it's the worst. Yes. Um, and I would also argue that like it probably deserves it in terms of like. Catwoman is really bad, but it has comedic value in terms of it's a it's a bad movie that's so bad that you laugh at it. And I don't know. I don't think anything else even came close in terms of like just absolute forgettableness. Yes, basically as, as AVP two. Yeah. So yeah, and like I don't know. I, it would have been cool to preserve that entire process because it was really random and fun. I liked poking, like, you know, just like I was pulling basically random movies out of a hat and presenting them to either Jusby or me. And, you know, hey, you got to rank Batman Returns. Hey, you got to rank Suicide Squad. You know, I thought that was kind of fun. Yeah. And maybe we could do it again someday, but not for a while. <laughs> yeah, that was a long process. Episode 200, we'll do all 200 movies we've seen. Oh, God. Well, <laughs> see you in two years. We'll have to figure out Twitch. something. Maybe we can do something for the, the 150. Not necessarily that, but maybe something. Yeah, it might be fun. Be that as it may, now episode 100 isn't going to be a big celebration of the show. It's going to be about Fellowship of the Ring. Which I, I think is a good series to start off the new um, Gen and Jub uh, chunk of episodes here. That's another thing, yeah, we didn't mention what series, because nobody knows. Oh, yeah. Because nobody can see that. Right, we spent a little live. <laughs> We're doing Lord of the Rings. Yeah. Yeah, okay. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, Lord of the Rings and The Hobbit. Uh, so that's six movies. The first one is today's episode on... Fellowship of the Ring. You probably already know that before clicking on it, because I'm sure the, the title of the episode is like, I don't know, Frodo Sucks a Cock or something like that. So you probably already know what it's about. I don't know. Frodo Goes to Hell. I'm just guessing. Please don't actually... You, you can't title the Frodo Goes to Hell. I don't think you could title the episode Frodo Sucks a Cock. I don't think that's... <laughs> I, I, know, I don't plan on titling the episode Frodo Sucks a Cock. 
Well, see, I was just worried because, like I said, it's going to be titled something like, and I was like, well, whatever I say <laughs> I just better not it. actually be the title no, of the you, episode. You, you, so you I, I said one. something vulgar. I said something vulgar on purpose. Right, you picked the one. <laughs> Frodo goes to so hell anyway. every time he puts on the ring. He, you know what? That's kind of accurate to what happens, I guess. That's 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 what I. <laughs> that's, that's the way I used to perceive it when I was a kid. I, mm. I, have, a, I have a lot to talk. We're, we're gonna get into it real soon. I, I, I think to so about too. This in my childhood because this is important to my childhood. So cool, cool. There's a lot. All right, you gotta I'm do a, you gotta do a theme song. You gotta do a something, and, and then we'll do the thing. And probably just gonna only talk about fellowship this week because there's a lot to talk about. Yeah, there's a lot. You put it here. You put it here. Put the theme song right here. Ready? Ready? All right. All right. All right, Josby. I'm gonna let you know when to start the theme. Start it right now. Welcome to the Ken and Jump Show, episode 100! That's good. Wow, how exciting. I have deja vu. Um, Jump. Today, Um, we're going to only talk about Lord of the Rings, the Fellowship of the Ring. Yes, uh, that's true. And a a bit about the production of uh, the Lord of the Rings as a whole, because there's a lot that goes into this. I think that's why we're only talking about this today. Because um, normally our our format, you you and I know, and hopefully the people listening know, people. we talk about a bunch of bullshit. Like, hey, what did you play this week, Justin? And Justin's like, nothing. I've been busy moving. And then he's like, what did you play this weekend, Ken? And I'm like, I don't know, Tony Hawk. And then we just <laughs> talk about the movie. So we're not doing that this week. Uh, although I do have stuff to talk about, but I'll save it for next week. I think it'll be, uh, I've been watching a lot of horror movies that I'd like to talk about. I've been watching uh, a lot of weird shows. And I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to start playing something. I got downloaded Vampire, which was free this month on PS Plus. I don't know how that is, but I'm going to try it out. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Me and, uh, me and my lovely girlfriend have been watching a uh, a franchise we ended up watching on the Get a Jump show itself, but we've been going through all the uh, the Nightmare on Elm Street movies. Cool. I've also been watching a franchise that may end up being discussed on this program. Uh, I finished it halfway. Well, sort of. I don't know. I, actually, no, not even close to halfway. Anyway, I, I watched Universal Frankenstein. All of it. And um, now I am watching the rest of it. I'm just going to I like I, I had a lot of plans for horror movies to watch this month and I kind of like sidetracked all of them and I'm just watching universal classic black and white horror movies. Oh, I'm okay. trying to watch all of them. I, I <laughs> and, and this isn't just uh, for to talk about on this show. Um, I'm actually thinking about doing something that I've never done, which is make a individual video about it. Uh, I have a laptop at recording stuff now. Oh my Ooh. God. It's like I can do something. Uh, <laughs> I don't know for sure. I'm toying around with the idea of it. I'll probably talk about it on, on here. This will be like the rough draft for like a more scripted video. <laughs> the once, I, uh, version. once I acquire some totally legal editing software, I'll be more than happy to help you put that together. 
Cool, dude. I do want to learn how to use editing software on my own at some point, too. But, I mean, I do appreciate your help. We've made some cool stuff in the past and some stupid garbage that I hope no one finds. But <laughs> like, You've been collaborating uh, for a very long time. Yeah, true. Probably like 10 years yeah, or just so. About. It's, it's been a very yeah. long time. We've been, we've been on creative endeavors where I've been uh, a lot more uh, intoxicated on some goodies than I, that I have been on the Get well, Jump I mean, show. I don't know any other way to make uh, the art form known as YouTube poop, but yeah, <laughs> sure. But anyway, like I figured like since there's like 30 universal movies, I'd watch like all of them and see like which ones are good and which ones are bad. And so far, most of them are good, but I did watch the most celebrated wing of it, which was Frankenstein. But anyway, I'll talk more about that next week when I've watched uh, more of them. Um, okay. Shout outs to Peacock for having most of them available on a streaming service finally. <laughs> also, not shout outs to Peacock for being free, except for some movies, in which case you don't get to watch them unless you pay. Thanks, Peacock. Uh, cock. Why? <laughs> yeah, I wish they named that app anything else. Peacock is stupid. Cock. <laughs> Peacock, more like it. Peacock, how you got cocked? Time to pay up. Mm hmm. You want to watch Mean watch. Girls? You better fucking pay up. <laughs> <laughs> Man, I got I got super cucked by them because I was like, oh my god, they have every Alfred Hitchcock movie. That's cool. Oh, all of them are part of the paid part of Peacock. <laughs> oh, thanks. Cool. That's how it works. So anyway, uh, let's let's talk about the the Lord of the Rings. Yes. Super celebrated, at least for this part, trilogy of films. <laughs> at least for this part. Yeah, because we are also going to talk about Hobbit. Um, so I was thinking about it, and I mean, I'm, I am going to talk about this one, but there is a Lord of the Rings movie that came out before these. Yeah. Uh, that I have never seen. I have seen parts of, and it's it's cool. I like the arts. It's a cartoon. Um, and it was theatrically released. But I don't know how easy it is to watch that version or not. And nobody really talks about it in terms of this film series. It's kind of its own little thing. So I didn't include it. This is like the Peter Jackson Lord of the Rings Hobbit series, not just Lord of the Rings. I know I've gotten expansive before on this show and like, you know, hey, Catwoman's a Batman film, but we're not doing that this time around. <laughs> But I think just like talking about how this even came about is pretty interesting. And I found a lot of shit out from uh, looking stuff up. Um, I don't know. Where should we start here? Well, maybe we should start with like, you know, obviously we rewatch these movies now, but we could go back to when we were younger and saw yes. them for the first time. So um, I have a, uh, I don't know about you, but I have a, at least related to my childhood. I have a very special relationship with the Lord of the Rings and the Hobbit. Um, I, I, I probably don't have as nearly as much of an attachment to them, but I, I have, I have always liked these movies. I saw them all in theaters and loved every single one. And uh, I have read The Hobbit, and I tried to read Lord of the Rings, and I should probably go back and actually read it now that I'm a little older and I feel like I can stomach it a little better. In high school, I was uh, edgy and dismissive of it and was like, this ain't as cool as the movies. Who's this Tom Bombadil guy? <laughs> and, and, didn't, and didn't finish them. 
uh, it's something that I would probably appreciate now. I never, uh, I never finished the books myself. I only read Fellowship. Um, mm. and like I didn't, I read it in very early high school, and I was uh, not a huge fan of the first book. But it's been a long time, and I might like it now if I go back. I don't know. That's kind of my point. I don't want to give the impression that I'm a hater of right. book because <laughs> I'm not. I should. I, I just. Uh, it just didn't click with uh, edgy high school Genhart who was uh, reading Stephen King books and basically nothing else right. at the time. Yeah. Yeah, I have a. I have a very special relationship with this series, though. Um... Especially, especially with the Hobbit, which makes the makes the uh, second half of this series for us that much more painful. The Hobbit is the. Uh, I the... mean, I, I suppose. Yeah. I, I don't think you know. Like, look, if we had our tier list up from our deleted episode, I don't think any of those Hobbits would get to D or F tier. Yeah, they'd be. Caesar. I don't think those movies are bad. I think Peter Jackson is good enough. Like, he's no George Lucas. Those are no Star Wars prequels, but you do have to kind of look at the length of the Hobbit compared to the length of the Lord of the Rings, which is a trilogy of novels and kind of wonder why both of these are trilogies. And I, that's basically what people talk about as one of their primary criticisms of the Hobbit. And I agree because reading the Hobbit was kind of quick when I was a kid and I enjoyed it quite a bit. I don't think they needed to make nearly as much expansive changes and additions as they did to say the least. Yeah. I, uh, so the Hobbit was the first book I ever read to completion when I was a child. The first one I ever read, my, uh, my mother handed down to me an old ass hardcover copy of the book from the late seventies. Oh, nice. Wow. Um, and I still have it. It's still cool. one of my favorite things that I ever owned. Um, I adore that book very much. I mean, I, I, don't, I guess I don't have enough base to say it, but I think it's your Tolkien's best book. Because it is, it is quick, it's concise, it's, like, wondrous, and, like, really, really cool. And I was obsessed with it. I was obsessed with The Hobbit my entire childhood, basically. I loved it so much. It's my favorite thing. All right, um, yeah. I'm going to send you an image on Discord real quick. Okay. <laughs> uh, this is the version of Hobbit that I owned. And um, I've, I didn't, to, to find this image, I just typed in bad Hobbit cover, and it was the first result. <laughs> uh, so, so here you go. I may put this on the, on the Twitter later because I think it's funny. Um, I, it, this sticks out in my head quite a bit because I don't know why I decided to even read this with this bad cover. But uh, here, here you go, Jesby. I put it in the in the Discord that we are currently in here. Oh my god, check that this is out! Terrible. <laughs> That's the version I owned as a kid. <laughs> it's, it's a dusty old paperback that I think my mom um got from a library and never returned. Uh, don't don't listen to this and jail my mom, please, for stealing library book. Oh no! Don't do that, library police. But yeah, so you owned a slightly cooler version of this than me. Uh, hardcover from the seventies sounds pretty cool. 
Yeah, I'm trying to see if I could find it. It's really difficult to locate online. Right. I have seen your edition of The Hobbit. Yeah, it's uh, sitting it's, around in in your room or something. Yeah, it's it's, it's green and it has like a drawing of the of the of the Durgan on the gold. Mm-hmm. It's, very, it's real very cool. Nice. It's very nice. I love that hardcover. That's the sleeve still a decent shape, despite uh, my mom reading it a hundred times and giving it to me for me to read it like a hundred times. It, it's still good, and I will probably read it again at some point soon, because it's just what I do. Right. So, that being said, um. me and my entire family... Now, my, my, other, my, my parents both read the Lord of the Rings books. I did not when Fellowship came out, but of course, when this was coming out, they were like, we have to see this, and we have to take you to this, this is what happens after The Hobbit. I'm like, oh, shit. So, yeah. It's kind of an interesting thing that they made Hobbit second. I, I guess Lord of the Rings is the more popular one, yeah. even before the movies came out, just in terms of it's bigger, it's, it's a bigger story, it's more epic, it's more adult- uh, the Hobbit is basically a kid's book. Yeah, it is a little... Uh, I mean, I, I guess a more modern equivalent to this comparison would be, like, if you compare, like, the first couple Harry Potter books to, like, the last couple Harry Potter books would be a good comparison to how that changes. Mm-hmm. Not to talk about uh, she who must not be named <laughs> or anything, <laughs> but uh, anyway. But yeah, so... They're like, you gotta go see this. So we went and saw Fellowship of the Ring and, of course, the consequential other Lord of the Rings movies on day one when they hit theaters. Yeah, so this was in uh, Fellowship of the Ring. 2001. Came out December of 2001, and uh, that means that I was uh, nine years old. Uh, so was I. <laughs> it, for some reason, it feels like I was older, but when I'm thinking back to it, I think I cried when Gandalf died and when Boromir died. And my mom was like mad at me for like being a mess in the theater because <laughs> uh, I was like, I, I don't know. I don't know how disruptive I was. I don't remember every aspect of it that much, but I, you know, uh, it's I, I don't know. I'd say that's a lot for a nine year old. It's upsetting. The cool wizard man died. Right. That's oh, sad. Yeah. It is upsetting. <laughs> and it's I didn't, upsetting. you know, I didn't know that he's just not actually dead <laughs> because I didn't know about Two Towers yet. Uh, yeah, same. So, like, yeah. Because even then, like, after that, I didn't end up reading The Fellowship of the Ring until I was, like, 13. Right. So, a long time. Because, like, I tried. I tried reading it when I was, like, 10. And it was a little too challenging for me, and I couldn't get through it. I like rented it from the that's, library. That's my main thing. When, when, like, when I was growing up with these, like, you know, I'm like nine, ten, eleven, and and that's too young to really take in those books for what they are. And like, I I own somewhere copies of Lord of the Rings that I will read someday, but um. I don't know. At the time, I think it was a little too much for me. And then when I got a little older, I was just in a bad headspace to try and read it for whatever reason, because I'm an idiot. Uh, <laughs> definitely will respect it now, I think. Definitely. But anyway, yeah, th this, this this is something that was like really unprecedented and 
will will likely never happen again where there's three movies back to back released year after year that are all filmed at the same time all a great singular vision from one filmmaker and all really good uh it was followed by two towers in 2002 and return of the king in 2003 uh it's kind of hard to separate the films from each other because it's it's weird that they're kind of like a 10-hour movie in a way in a way yeah well, I mean, it's much like um, you know, in reading about like the making of, you know, I, I didn't get real deep into this because we're talking about the movies. We're not talking about the book. But, you know, Tolkien, when he wrote Lord of the Rings, he never really intended it to be separated into volumes. He, he didn't intend it to be a trilogy. He intended it to be one work. And, you know, it was, it was insisted by Tolkien's publisher to maximize the profit and save money on, you know, probably like stuff like binding material <laughs> by making it three volumes uh, that were released in 1954 and 1955. Uh, it was, it, you know, and it was something that was like supposed to be just a simple sequel asked by like the publisher to his 1937 children's book, The Hobbit. But it grew in scope and took on a life of its own. And you could tell how long it took him to get everything together when we, when you see that Hobbit came out in 37 and Lord of the Rings didn't come out nearly two decades later. Like that's kind of crazy how long it took for everything to come to fruition there. Um, uh, this is kind of interesting that I didn't know. Um, every single edition of the Hobbit that you could find today or basically past like 54 um, has amended passages to connect it further to Lord of the Rings that Tolkien wrote. Oh, um, yeah. Uh, just to make it make things make sense better. Uh, I think it's like a little bit more expansive in the Gollum section. Cause, cause he didn't know that like the ring in that part of the story was going to be, you know, the MacGuffin for a giant Epic trilogy until later. <laughs> so he kind of like wrote a bit of stuff that makes it, more explicitly that ring and stuff like that. Uh, a little bit more about Gollum, I assume. Um, so yeah, I, uh, it's obviously one of the most celebrated, uh, novels or series of novels ever made. Mm -hmm. Uh, and so obviously when you have something that's extremely successful, uh, you're going to have people trying to make a movie of it eventually. Um, but you may notice that it took 50 years for that to happen. So why is that? Uh, I, I think in the general quick answer to that is it was too big of a project for most people to really like comprehend adapting it. Because it's just it's it's such a major undertaking, especially with, you know, like live action would be almost unheard of to make this in the 50s or 60s. There's just like no way not to the level that you'd want it to be. Um, and it took advances in filmmaking technology and special effects work to really like 
get up to speed with what you could do with Lord of the Rings. That's I don't I think that's truly why you don't see it made until the next millennium. <laughs> um Yeah, it's it's just a lot, man. Yeah. And like I like I don't know, it's 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 at least from, even just like from reading Fellowship, like it's even that, like it's amazing how well it was adapted. Right. Well, it, it's kind of interesting because like Tolkien didn't intend for it to be split up. Um, he did sort of because each each one is each of the books is split in half structurally. There's a book one, book two, book three, book four, book five, book six structure to the entire story. But it's not really like the three novels have a beginning, middle and end to themselves. Really, the movies add that a lot cleaner like fellowship ends with events that took place into towers like boromir dying and shit i'm pretty sure um and they kind of like shifted that over to fellowship so that it felt more like an actual like stop point you know (laughs) it's hard to know where to stop and start i'm sure that they spent a lot of time on getting that all finely tuned and right because it, it is difficult <laughs> to to take this massive beast of a novel that is three novels and turn it into a bunch of movies. Um, so it takes decades to arrive on a film, but it was certainly sought after in Hollywood several times. Let's talk about <laughs> uh, a couple. Um, so yeah. one of the earliest ones was uh, Walt Disney was interested um which makes sense just given like what all the uh the old uh 50s and 60s 40s uh disney animated films were it's it makes sense that he was interested um sorry i got my years wrong (laughs) whatever like 60s and 70s i'd say uh because he you know they would always just adapt stories that existed and Disney-fy them up, which isn't necessarily a bad thing. Uh, there's lots of great old classic Disney cartoon films, but I could see that being something they'd try to target, but uh, it never really came to fruition. Um, I don't know. I, I think possibly they found it a little too adult for Disney to adapt it. Yeah, I can um, see that. Yeah, I mean, it's kind of like there's there's some some fucked up shit in Lord of the Rings, which Peter Jackson didn't shy away from, but other people would have. Oh, certainly. Uh, So your first true adaptation of any of this shit is from Rankin and Bass. Uh, You may know them from those claymation Christmas specials, you know, Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer and like Year Without a Santa Claus and all that stuff. That's these guys. Um, But they also did traditional 2D animation, not just the claymation specials. Um, So they produced The Hobbit in 1977. Have you ever seen that? I have. I have. Uh, It's kind of funny now, but I think it's not without its charm. It's just it's not perfect. But I think given the context of The Hobbit being a children's book and not more adult like lord of the rings it makes a little more sense (laughs) um uh i like their presentation of Gollum in that it's really different from what we got 
in the movies, but it's not bad. But then they also made Return of the King in 1980. And uh, that one, I've never seen all the way through, but it is an abomination. I don't really know why they uh, they skipped all the way from The Hobbit to Return of the King. Doesn't uh, make any sense. No, it really doesn't. They skipped a lot of the story, but but like um, it's it's uh, abysmal and terrible, and like basically everybody hates it. Uh, <laughs> there's orcs singing songs and and stuff in that, uh, like not war songs, like cutesy like songs, like you know, uh, <laughs> it's it's strange. Now in between that. In 78, there's the animated film, The Lord of the Rings, directed by Ralph Bakshi. Uh, This film was successful. It became a cult classic. Um, It's really cool looking if you've ever seen the art from it. I love the art. Mm -hmm. Uh, They did this really expensive experimental animation where they would film live action stills uh, and then use that as the backdrop for the animation cells and like rotoscope it in so that like the backgrounds are live action, but then there's like animated characters on top of it, which is really neat. It makes it look really cool. And it served as a big inspiration to Peter Jackson. Like that was his introduction to uh, middle earth. Any of this really now, the problem with this movie is that it doesn't adapt the entire story because how could it? Uh, you can't not in 90 minutes. Uh, <laughs> uh, it never received a sequel either. So it kind of just ends halfway through and it doesn't resolve its story. So it's kind of an adaptation of fellowship and half of two towers. And it, it, uh, it's that's kind of why, like, while it is, you know, it has great art and it's cool to look at. It's never been like received as well as it could be. Um, now, this has been released in a set with the Rankin and Bass specials as if they're all part of the same series. Which is strange and doesn't work. Like, yeah, it's not weird. only are there gaps in the story this way. Uh, there's complete tonal d- dissonance <laughs> like between the whole thing because the the Lord of the Rings movie is a little more serious, and the Rankin and Bass specials were, you know, for children. Uh, who who would guess they don't form a cohesive trilogy? <laughs> but anyway, we got to talk about the the real weird one that almost happened, and uh, we were robbed of this. Uh, this thing (laughs) that that could have been, I think one of the biggest blunders in cinema history, but it it never came to be. Um, This was going to be an unlikely team up between Stanley Kubrick and the Beatles. Uh, So it's the 1960s. The Beatles have filmed two live action movies, Hard Day's Night and Help. They're contracted to make a third movie. So, you know, obviously their main focus is making albums. This is their secondary focus. But the Beatles are extremely famous. Of course they are. They're like the most famous people to exist in the 60s at this point. Uh, So 
they're not too interested in making a third live action movie. They uh, go ahead and make Yellow Submarine, which uh, features them briefly and has it's animated and has other people in it voicing the Beatles. I love Yellow Submarine, by the way, just as a side note. But um, they're uh, they're told this doesn't count. <laughs> this doesn't count. It's not a live action film starring the Beatles. And they're like, shit. Uh, so they're told they're, they're contracted to make a third movie and yellow submarine isn't that third movie technically speaking. <laughs> so the head of Beatles, Apple films, Dennis Odell, he comes up with this idea. What if we make the Lord of the Rings? <laughs> um, and uh, I think none of the Beatles had read it at this point. But then they did. And John was like uh, really enamored with it and he wanted to make it. Um, So they started thinking about it a little more seriously. Like maybe we could actually make this. I don't know. The tone of it would probably be weird. Like I assume it would be like parody esque. There's no way that you have the Beatles actually act seriously. Like, like this would have to be like a campy musical version of Lord of the Rings. Yeah, it would have been awful. Oh my god! But like, that's like at least judging from like the other two movies. But they were trying to approach this seriously, uh, even to the point where like uh, Richard Lester, the director of the first two films, uh, he would later do uh, Superman two and Superman three. Uh, it was decided that he was not up to this task. So they uh, fired him or didn't ask him back and they started searching for another director. They considered several, uh, including Stanley Kubrick. Now Kubrick had never read Lord of the Rings. Uh, Dennis O'Dell sent him uh, copies of them and he read it and he said the books were excellent, but unfilmable. Uh, I don't know if he meant in general or with the Beatles, I feel like both would be correct in the middle of the sixties though. Uh, like Kubrick was able to make some truly amazing movies in that era, but he, he was, he was somebody that like, uh, you know, he, I think I found a quote from him where he said he hated how adaptations like uh, gone with the wind and war and peace had cut tons of material from their stories. Uh, he didn't want to compromise and remove tons of material and infuriate fans of the novel. And liking the novel himself, he also didn't want to do that for that reason. So the Beatles, therefore, looked elsewhere for the direct for a director. And the project kind of goes into development hell <laughs> uh, throughout the entirety of the 1960s. And uh, obviously, we all know what happened to the Beatles. They go their separate ways in 1970s uh, and the project's canceled because, uh, you know, there's no contract for the Beatles to make movies if the Beatles don't exist. So <laughs> um, this was this was shelved uh, permanently. And I can't tell if it was good or bad that it was, because imagine how crazy this would have been. Uh but like also imagine whether Peter Jackson's Lord of the Rings would even happen if there had been this weird, terrible Beatles movie that came out in the 60s that people associated with the property now. 
like would would a studio okay Lord of the Rings if people were just like, oh, that's that terrible 60s Beatles movie. You want to make that? Like, there's like no way it would have happened. Um, I, I guess uh, it just just more fun tidbits about this. Uh, like, because I was wondering, like, who would play who? Like, what's the idea here? There's like a million characters in Lord of the Rings. Uh, are you going to do like a Eddie Murphy or Mike Myers thing where like the Beatles play like all the characters? <laughs> um, so I guess like they were going to play the Hobbits, John, Paul, George and Ringo. Not actually Frodo, Sam, Mary Pippin. Uh, however, like there was like some arguments amongst the Beatles. Go imagine, right? Uh, about, <laughs> but specifically about like who would play who? Like John was like, "No, nah, I want to play Gandalf." Uh, wait, no, maybe no. I'll do Frodo because he's the main character. And then Paul's like, "No, I want to do Frodo because he's the main character." Why don't you be Gollum? And 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 then George is like, "Well, I want to be Gandalf." And then like this never came to fruition because it was doomed to fail from the start. Right. But like <laughs> Jesus Christ, uh, <laughs> and they wanted like all kinds of the weird British celebrities and friends of theirs to be people. Uh, Twiggy as Galadriel is something that was uh, floated as an idea. Holy uh, shit. Yeah, this, this, this was insane. I, I don't know what. <laughs> I mean, I would say I don't know what they were smoking, but I guess we do kind of know what they were smoking. So anyway. Uh, years and years go by D- decades, even <laughs> tons of other film adaptations are considered, but you know, they never really get off the ground until we find New Zealand filmmaker, Peter Jackson beginning to show interest. Uh, have you seen any of Peter Jackson's stuff before Lord of the Rings, Justin? no, you have not? Not before Lord of the Rings, no. Okay, that's uh, interesting. <laughs> um, so he, he uh, you know, he comes from a gross-out horror background. Yeah, he I made know some of his previous movies. movies. Yeah. Um, bad Taste, Meet the Feebles, and uh, quite honestly, one of my all-time favorite horror movies, brain dead or dead alive, depending on what uh, country you are in. I think over here it's called dead alive, but he called it brain dead. Uh, that, that movie is like the most insane zombie movie ever made. Uh, it's incredible. I really recommend that movie. Uh, but he found more mainstream success with films like heavenly creatures and the frighteners. But he had yet to make his most celebrated film, which ended up being Lord of the Rings. Now he was attempting to write a fantasy film with his partner, Fran Walsh, uh, but they kept feeling like they were just making ripoffs of Tolkien, which was pretty common. Uh, Like the Lord of the Rings straight up adaptation never came about until the two thousands, but there was plenty of Tolkien esque fantasy movies that would happen occasionally stuff like, you know, I don't know. Let's say Willow. You know what I mean? Yeah. <laughs> um, you know, stuff that would never like, you know, really be 
a gateway into this stuff until this like Lord of the Rings actually came out. So they're kind of feeling like they just keep making this. So like they were like, well, maybe we could just actually make the Hobbit or Lord of the Rings. So Peter Jackson pitches this to Miramax in 1995. He pitches this a single film adaptation of The Hobbit first. And if that was successful, he would follow it with a two part adaptation of Lord of the Rings. Even though Jackson did truly want it to be three parts, just like the books, he recognized that pitching this idea as like, let me make four movies was probably a mistake. Yeah. So he said one for Hobbit. Then if it's successful, we'll do Lord of the Rings as two filmed back to back. That was always part of the idea was to film them concurrently. But the problem with this and, and the problem with a lot of this going forward here is uh, Miramax. Uh, you may notice these movies are not made by Miramax. That may tell you part of this story. (laughs) Um, But so they, the film rights to Lord of the Rings were obtainable, but the Hobbit, not so much Uh, for whatever reason. uh, They're kind of owned by separate people. Uh, So, Miramax head Harvey Weinstein. Ah, yeah, that Harvey Weinstein. You might die in um, prison. Everybody clap. Hope he dies in prison. Anyway, Harvey <laughs> Weinstein. Uh, so he's struggling to obtain the film rights to The Hobbit. So in the interim, this is taking like this is a long process. You know, this was 95. And this, I mean, the movie didn't happen until 2001. So just, you know, right. Uh, so Jackson begins making moves on another project, a remake of King Kong with Universal, which would, of course, actually end up happening. But it was uh, delayed until after Lord of the Rings. But he was starting to make moves on it before. And this infuriated Harvey Weinstein. Uh, but Jackson promised to film Lord of the Rings immediately afterwards. But then Universal cancels King Kong in 97. Eventually, after Lord of the Rings, they'd be like, hey, you want to still make that? And then he did, of course. So then Jackson and Weinstein begin working again on the film. But Miramax is still struggling to get those Hobbit rights. So they kind of go ahead and say, why don't you just make Lord of the Rings? Because we can't get the Hobbit rights. Uh, now, this does present a problem because... Uh, Miramax is over here going, maybe we can make these two movies into one movie. And Peter Jackson, on the other hand, is trying to make it two movies and kind of struggling with even making it two movies. He's kind of wanting to it to be three movies. So you've got clashing ideals between Jackson and Weinstein. Weinstein wanting one and Jackson wanting three. Now, Peter Jackson eventually says this. Okay, fine. I'll make one movie of Lord of the Rings, but it has to be four hours long. Now, especially back then before, you know, uh, well, the current era, I don't know how much people care about the length of uh, anything, 
in what they're watching. But you have to think about how theaters approach things and how a movie being four hours long means you can only screen it like three times a day during the time the theater is opened. I, they don't like this idea. You know, they're just like, you know, we need a movie that we can show a lot more times a day or we need to make money on it. So Weinstein refuses. He's adamant that the entire project of the entire Lord of the Rings be one single two hour long movie. And Jackson has kind of had enough here. Yeah. And he refuses to butcher the story this way. He refuses to cooperate further with Weinstein and with Miramax. And he begins to look elsewhere for another film company to produce and develop the films under. Now, this leads Harvey Weinstein to threaten that any work Peter Jackson and company had done so far, which was a significant amount of pre-production, was owned by Miramax. And if he wasn't willing to play ball, he would have another director join and directs the project instead. Um, now Weinstein even called and said like something along the lines of, I got Quentin Tarantino ready to do this at any moment. Uh, <laughs> and Jackson and his agent believed uh, this to simply be a bluff. I don't think there's any universe where Quentin Tarantino would make Lord of the Rings, but uh, it'd be interesting to see. They'd probably say fuck a lot. Uh, so Jackson's agent further clarifies to Weinstein that, um, here's the thing. You can't use any of the scripts or designs from Jackson and his team. Thus the overall cost sunk into this project will be increased because you will have to start over from step one. So it is cheaper for you to actually relent and let Jackson shop this to other studios because nixing him means that you're going to have to start all over. And that was just all money you've already spent. And Weinstein begrudgingly allows Jackson to go to other studios and thank God. Cause like <laughs> there's no way this movie would have been as good as it was. Oh, no, if it was stuck in your max, either it was going to end up being a two hour long movie that, that was cut to shreds. I can't imagine or, or he would have got, or he would have got like Brett Ratner or something to direct it. It definitely wouldn't have been Quentin Tarantino. He was just pulling that out of his ass, but Somebody like Brett Ratner will come in, I bet. (laughs) That's what that guy does. That would have been like the worst. Oh, yeah. Well, you know, it's even worse, Jesby. Let's talk about Harvey Weinstein. And uh, what else about him? (laughs) We've already had this conversation once. You know what else about Harvey Weinstein? He's unsurprisingly a complete asshole and a complete fucking you know terrible piece of shit uh and was terrible uh sexually harassing and assaulting women in the film industry for uh, like more than a decade and 
that was no that was it wasn't not happening during the in like production of this um so Weinstein told Jackson and his crew to not hire actresses Ashley Judd and Mira Sorvino both of whom Weinstein had either sexually harassed or sexually assaulted uh these are both people who came out against him uh during the the height of the me too movement yeah now in jackson's own words about this and this is a quote from peter jackson i recall miramax telling us they were a nightmare to work with and we should avoid them at all costs this was probably in 1998 at the time we had no reason to question what these guys were telling us but in hindsight I realized that this was very likely the Miramax smear campaign in full swing. I now suspect we were fed false information about both of these talented women. And as a direct result, their names were removed from our casting list. So for whatever reason, yeah, Weinstein sought to stunt their careers because they weren't willing to, who knows? Uh, and this happens to a lot of people. It's not only a factor of this movie's production, but this movie was a victim of it. Um, now, on working with Weinstein, Peter Jackson said the following. My experience when Miramax controlled the Lord of the Rings was of Weinstein and his brother behaving like second-rate mafia bullies. They weren't the type of guys I wanted to work with, so I haven't. Although his name had to be on the Lord of the Rings credits for contractual reasons, he was not involved in the movies we ended up making. Uh, yeah, I think Peter Jackson said he only ran into him one other time at like some kind of event for the uh, the movies, and and they kind of like went their separate ways. It's unfortunate that he's even close to the production of this because yeah. I just I don't want anything to do with anything involving that guy. He's a fucking colossal shit bag who, uh, you know, Oh no, he, he might die when he go jail. How sad. Oh no. We'll play the world's tiniest violin. Play that tiny violin for Harvey Weinstein. So anyway, we go to new line studios, uh, the makers of such great hit cinema, as Jason goes to hell, <laughs> but but oh, enough, but like just forget about that. That has nothing to do with this. I just thought it'd be funny to say. Anyway, uh, they're the only studio interested. Well, besides Miramax, in the project, um, everybody's kind of nervous about this and doesn't want to take a chance on it because you got Peter Jackson, maybe more known for you know bucked up movies making this beloved franchise and it's going to be huge and it's going to maybe multiply be multiple movies, Disney passes and, and a lot of other people who will probably come to regret this decision. Uh, yeah. A lot of studios. Yeah. But here comes new line. And now their CEO, Robert Shea is a fan of the books and he, he was like, all right, sure. Let's extend your two film treatment into a three film treatment. And Peter Jackson was like, oh, shit, finally, <laughs> someone who knows. Uh, like, his quote on the matter is actually, 
Uh, why would anyone want moviegoers to pay $18 when they might pay $27? You know, the, the prospect of more money to be made wasn't lost on him as it seemingly was with everybody else. Well, because nobody had faith in this project, really. Uh, and they were wrong to not have it because it ended up being one of the most profitable things of all time. Uh, <laughs> like, um, as, as Shay said, he said, we should have, we like, we would have made five if there were five books. Like that's how in he was. <laughs> he was yeah. just like, however, however many there are just fucking do it right. So Jackson and his team got to work restructuring the story into three films that allows them, you know, a lot more space and creative freedom on it. Obviously the screenplay for all three movies is written by Peter Jackson, Fran Walsh, uh, his partner, uh, contributing to all of his films since meet the feebles. Also Philippa Boyens who worked in theater before joining the writing crew here. She would go on to contribute to future Jackson films and Steven Sinclair, who worked in theater before and worked with Jackson since. Basically, the, the team that worked with him on Lord of the Rings followed him to his other projects down the line. No, most notably The Hobbit, uh, which makes sense. It makes sense that you'd want the same crew making it. So we're getting there. There's yep. it's a lot to talk about. No, there's, there's a lot to cover. One. Like these, you're trying to think about like how big of a pick of a production, how big of a deal this is. Yeah, there's um, so much that goes into it. Right. So Jackson sought to make the movies uh, more realistically designed than previous fantasy films. Uh, the quote from him here: "It might be clearer if I described it as an historical film, something very different to Dark Crystal or Labyrinth." I would imagine something like Braveheart, but with a little of the visual magic of legend. It should have the historical authority of Braveheart rather than the meaningless fantasy mumbo jumbo of Willow. And true. It's a good point to make. And to this end, Weta workshop is the true MVP of this trilogy for sure, because the amount of work to bring that idea to life was absolutely insane. I can only uh, fucking imagine. They, you know, gorgeously detailed armor, weapons, creatures, prosthetics, miniatures that, that were so big and detailed that they called them bigatures. <laughs> uh, and then the sets and the costume design, just everything, the insane detail and time that went into the creation of the Lord of the Rings is honestly quite insane. Uh, I highly recommend viewing the various like making of materials that are in the appendices included with the extended editions of the movies to get like a real sense of the sheer scale of the production. I haven't watched a ton of that stuff yet, but I do own it and I'm going to go through it all eventually. Cause like it's super interesting to see how much work went into making this movie. Uh, just an idea of the scale of shit. I'll throw some numbers at you. Okay. Uh, <laughs> we got 48,000 pieces of armor. We got 500 bows and 10,000 real arrows. We got 1,800 orc bodysuits. We got 10,000 orc heads. We got... 1,800 pairs of fucking gross hobbit feet prosthetics. <laughs> like, 
just 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 to give an idea of like the amount of shit that they made for this movie. Uh, not to mention groundbreaking digital effects work on display. Uh, there's there's although that does take more of a center stage beginning with the second movie. Uh, cause obviously you have Gollum and, uh, like characters like Treebeard. you know, there's a lot more CGI creatures in movies two and three. There's definitely some in the first one, but, and that stuff was groundbreaking for the time as well. Uh, you gotta kind of remember that like the CGI being good was a new thing in the early two thousands. Like, I think the first time people really took notice of it and it was like actually good was like Phantom Menace in 99. And even then, like that's like it's aged a little poorly, but it does look better than some things, you know, because like before that you got like, you know, obviously something like Terminator 2 is impressive, but it looks kind of bad now. The goopy Terminator, (laughs) which we've talked about before. But, you know, in terms of, like, living, breathing creatures that, like, look like they were there and, like, it's believable enough, like, that kind of, like, originates here and with the Star Wars movies of the time. Um, And that shit's, you know, very impressive and revolutionary. So they set about filming. This took place uh, famously in Peter Jackson's native New Zealand, uh, which became synonymous with Middle Earth uh, in the modern day, like even to like just like ridiculous standards where like everything has been hobbitized. Uh, (laughs) The the uh, them them trying to get you to visit New Zealand has been just like it's where Middle Earth is. Come visit New Zealand. Like it's just like changed the country in lots of ways. Uh, like, and and it brought them a lot of revenue and a lot of, uh, jobs like, um, it was, it was super important for New Zealand as a whole. Uh, so it's, it's shot from October 11th, 1999 through December 22nd of 2000. So that's more than a year straight shooting across 150 different locations across New Zealand. Uh, all three movies simultaneously shot back to back, probably more than 10 hours of collective footage. If you count the extended editions, a tremendous undertaking, not really ever heard of before. Um, now the total amount of days spent filming is 274 which is you'd you'd think it would be a record, but it is tied for the record with another movie. Would, would you like to hazard a guess at what movie? Not even the faintest clue. All right. It's not three movies. I'll give you that one. (laughs) It is one movie. Uh, that would be Apocalypse Now, which had a oh, yep. famously terrible production that went south and just took forever. Uh, 274 days for both of them. It's weird that, like, there wasn't a... Like, I don't know how that happens. <laughs> like, I don't know how they hit the exact day. Um, so there's over 2,400 people working on the movie. 
Uh, Jackson described the experience as the world's largest home movie because he felt a sense of family and also a sense of like independent spirit to the whole thing, even though it was like an army making the movie, basically. Uh, and the script is continuously rewritten during production to accommodate, you know, things like changes that like how you see the cast working can make. And just like, there's a million things that can affect that. Uh, Fran Walsh compared this to laying down the track in front of a moving train. <laughs> it was probably very stressful for everyone involved. I'd have to assume. Uh, pickup shots took place in 2001, 2002 and 2003 prior to each film's release, just to make sure the edits are all uh, good and there doesn't need to be anything missing, you know, Right. Uh, now, a, interesting to note. This is more of a Return of the King fact than anything else, but I'll just mention it now. The final shot shot for Lord of the Rings was in 2004. It was a final pickup shot after Return of the King had already came out and had already won Best Picture at the Oscars that year. Uh, this was for a shot of Falling Skulls for the Path of the Dead scene for the extended edition that he still needed. Uh, Peter Jackson joked, it's nice to win an Oscar before you have even finished the film. Uh, <laughs> like, yeah, I guess it would be. Um, I guess before we get a whole lot further, uh, let's talk about the music. Yes, one of the absolutely iconic. Well, I think it's quite possibly my favorite part of all three of them, not to understate any aspect of it. But like, it's just phenomenal. The score, like, it's like it's on the same level of like John Williams yeah. for Star Wars. It's like that important to the overall production of the whole thing. Uh, this is Howard Shore, who is a uh, he's a frequent collaborator with David Cronenberg and Martin Scorsese, and now with Peter Jackson because he scored all three of these as well as all three of the Hobbits. Uh, it's it's just easily among one of the best scores of all time, all things considered. Like it's it's so iconic. Every theme is fantastic. Uh, he's been nominated for an Oscar four times. He's won three. He got best original score for this movie, Fellowship of the Ring. He's got best original score for Return of the King, and he did uh, best original song for Into the West from Return of the King. Uh, his fourth nomination that he didn't win was for Hugo, which is also a pretty damn good movie um so i guess as far as other famous people we could talk about who the fuck is in the movie yeah there's quite a lot of that now too <laughs> this is like a huge ensemble cast that you would never see in anything else just because lord of the rings as a big epic fantasy tale it has so many damn characters uh <laughs> that it's just kind of insane and it's also kind of insane that they were able to get these like, you know, people that like whose careers were made by this in many ways. And now they're like super famous household names that, you you know, uh, like Elijah Wood was certainly in stuff before this. But this is like the thing that right. made his career. Right? Absolute breakout. Yeah. Uh <laughs> it's weird. I always think of him in this mainly. And then the other thing I think of Elijah Wood for is, uh, do you ever see Sin City? 
Yeah. Uh, he plays a fucking weirdo in that, and it just always sure sticks does. out in my mind because, like, Frodo, like he, like he's he look like with all the makeup and everything that's going on, like they genuinely make Frodo look like one of the most kind-hearted people ever, especially like in the first movie when he's like at the Shire and stuff. And then, like, you just hard cut to like him in Sin City as this fucking like <laughs> degenerate <laughs> with glasses, and he looks like a fucking murderer. Hey, Amen. It's like I mean, Elijah Wood got range. Yeah, he's he pretty range. good. He does. He's, he's he's an excellent actor. Yeah, and he's kind of gone this like kind of like cool like indie ish route where he's not like you know he's not like one of these people that like you know the MCU is trying to get or anything like that. He just kind of like does his own thing, appears in weird stuff that he wants to appear in. You know, I appreciate that. I like that. Um, uh, obviously, you can't have Frodo without Sam. Uh, quite possibly, like maybe the most important character <laughs> in a weird way. Yeah, strangely um, enough. Yeah, Sean Astin, uh, probably most well known before this. For, you know, he's in the Goonies, he's in Rudy, you know, he's always that kind of like heroic character, you know, just 100% good on the alignment chart, you know, <laughs> like, uh, but obviously he's the most famous for this too. You can say that about everybody. I guess we'll just keep going with the Hobbits. You got Sean Astin as Sam, you got Dominic Moynihan as Mary, uh, Billy Boyd as Pippin, um, <laughs> Moynihan rose to fame after this. He went on to star in Lost. Uh, he was recently in Star Wars Episode Nine, but we don't really have to talk about that. Uh, <laughs> he, uh, I, it was just weird that he was in that at all, just for some reason, as character that might not have been named. Uh, Billy Boyd, uh, you know, what do you think he's more famous for, this or Seed of Chucky? What do you think? What's your answer? <laughs> <laughs> bruh 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 hit the bruh and, uh, bruh bruh yeah bruh bruh ian mckellen as gandalf uh his probably his most famous role mm-hmm. uh i mean I, I i don't know no i mean magneto doesn't even come close he's magneto in four movies but this is just like you know gandalf's way too important yeah no it's huge and I mean, McKellen's good in a lot of things. He's he's a legend. He's such a good actor. Um, well, the thing, the thing about like these movies, like I don't know, this is this is such a special production in that even like the actors, everything was firing on all cylinders. Every, everybody's on their A game here. Yeah. Um, Viggo Mortensen, especially oh, uh, Aragorn's one of the <laughs> best parts of the whole thing. I mean, like now, yeah, just stitch in some cuts of like uh. You know, him just like, <laughs> saying like a song, like getting on his knees and like drilling the ring in the front of his hands, like I would have followed you to the fire and then cut it with boo. And it's like, no, 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 no. You're confusing him with McConaughey, sir. He was in another Texas Chainsaw movie that is not oh, that's as memorable. Right. I'm sorry. Yeah. Right. Not as, not <laughs> nowhere. He, that's what he, uh... <laughs> I mixed this. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know how you made this. Fuck up, I just thought of, I just made the relation to yeah. ridicu- ridiculous, dumb role in a Texas Chainsaw movie, which they both have. Uh, well, it's true. He's come a long way since Texas Chainsaw Massacre. He's fucking hilarious 3. in that movie, though. Uh, it's it's weird. I can't ever. I can't 
Like it's yeah, it feels like a miscast in that movie because I can't see him as a psychopath. Well, yeah, yeah, the problem is like you saw the Lord of the Rings first, so like, well, yeah, go back to that and it's like, what what is Aragorn doing? (laughs) Right. So, like, uh, much like Aragorn is like a Chad and a half, uh, Vigo Mortensen decides to be a Chad and a half on this movie, and he's like, I'm gonna do my own stunts. I'm going to use a real sword whenever possible, even though most everybody else had fake swords, rubber swords. <laughs> He's like, fuck that. We're going to go all the way real. Give me the real sword. I hope I don't kill anybody. Let's go. Uh, he's he's one of the last people to join the cast because they cast somebody else. They cast an actor named Stuart Townsend, who I was like, who the fuck is this guy? And um, I don't know. He's like a literally who. Uh, he was in Queen of the Damned as oh, Lestat. Great. You know, the, the good Lestat movie, right? <laughs> the one that everybody remembers. Yeah, so anyway, he just didn't seem to be like a good fit. Uh, and Peter Jackson was like, he's not old enough. He's kind of like just not a good fit. Let's get somebody else. And they found Vigo Mortensen. That's a good thing that they did because he works really well as like, I guess the closest thing to a leading man you would have in this trilogy. Mm-hmm. It's hard to say who's the main character. Well, especially like, like after the end of Fellowship 2, you have like two different stories playing out. Yeah, everybody's story separates into their own little things going on. <clears throat> so, uh, like, like I'd say like the main path, like you have the, the main path of Fellowship where you have like everything happening with Frodo and the Fellowship as a whole. And mm-hmm. then at the breakoff point at the end, that becomes really two big stories. Which is, you know, the story of, of Frodo's journey and of Aragorn's ascension. Yeah, basically. And, and the different paths that they take, which all coincide with each other, because it's all an overall story of good against evil. Uh, it's about as classic as you could make it. <laughs> yeah. Uh, we got the other members of the Fellowship here. John Rice davies as Gimli, who we have also previously seen on the Gen and Jub show, but in much better movies. He was Sala in the Indiana Jones movies. Um, he's also the voice of Treebeard in Two Towers and Return of the King, which, like, you can really tell. Yeah. And I don't know why they just went with, like, he does a gruff voice as Gimli, and then he does a gruff voice for Treebeard. <laughs> and, and, like, it's just, like, they just pitch it a bunch, like, deeper because it's, like, Treebeard's giant, so they make it sound louder. But, like, it's the same voice. I don't know why they did this. Uh, it's one of the few things that stands out to me is like maybe something they shouldn't have done. Uh, he does a good job as both characters. Uh, we won't see Treebeard until next week. Right. But, you know, Gimli's probably like one of the best parts of this whole thing. But I guess you could say that about everybody. But like, he's one of my favorites because just like he works so well as like a comic relief character. It's usually he's saying something funny, but like he never like is solely comic relief. Like he's still useful. He still does some cool shit. And then and then you got Legolas as uh, Orlando Bloom as Legolas. Uh, he reprises his role in The Hobbit, but I wish he didn't. But he's awesome in this though. <laughs> like it's just yeah. like he stands out in The Hobbit as being like just like it's unnecessary that he's even there. It's so weird. <laughs> yeah, it's really weird. They they just kind of just wanted more Legolas, and I don't blame them. But like, it just doesn't fit that story. 
He's also famous for being in four Pirates of the Caribbean movies. He was initially auditioning for a smaller role. He was going to play Faramir, but they called him back and said, be Legolas instead. And he was like, oh, okay, cool. <laughs> like, that's a, that's a cool, that's a glow up, I guess. Yeah, Not that Faramir good. sucks or anything, but like Faramir is in a lot less of the movie uh, than Legolas. Yeah. And uh, we got the one guy who's uh, basically only in this one, but he's, you know, nevertheless, a huge part of this trilogy. Sean Bean as Boromir, the man who dies in every single one of his film roles. Basically, Sean Bean. Uh, He's perhaps honestly more well known now for playing Ned Stark. Who also dies. Uh, now he will appear briefly in the other two movies but he's mostly seen in this one which makes sense because he fucking dies in this one Um, Sean Bean said that Boromir's death is his favorite on screen death by the way which it's a really good one I understand why Uh, and then we just got like a couple more these are kind of supporting not like major cast but we got Liv Tyler as Arwen Kate Blanchett as Galadriel also saw her on Gen and Jub before in a terrible, terrible, terrible movie, Kingdom of the Crystal Skull. Yes. <laughs> uh, n- not a good fit in that movie. Great fit in this movie. Absolutely. Uh, also, Hugo Weaving, who I can't Man. ever see without Dude. thinking of him saying Mr. Anderson. It doesn't, <laughs> it doesn't happen, man. Even when I first I think, saw uh, that movie, I was like, it's Agent Smith. Like what do you? <laughs> he just has a look to him, like was, uh, you know. I was fucking nine. Already saw the Matrix, and I was like in the theater, really loud. I was like, "That's Agent Smith." And my brother's like, "Shut the fuck up." <laughs> you were right, though. Yeah, I know. No, oh. um, it, like uh, I think uh, your brother made a joke that uh made me die when we were watching Fellowship. Uh. And then I expended on it, and we all laughed a bunch. Uh, he was just like, like I don't know. I can't even say it as a joke. Your your brother just says dumb shit, and it's funny. Uh, he was just like, look how big his forehead. Is. It's huge, just like, bro. Died like in the big council scene where they're all talking. It's just like it's like I was like, what's bigger, his forehead or Sauron's eye? Like, like we're like fucking definitely Elrond's head. Look at his fucking head, dude. <laughs> And we were just like, uh, and then like, uh, uh, I think the other day we were watching Two Towers. I've already watched Two Towers. Sorry. Whatever. We'll get to it eventually. Um, and like, we were just like comparing like his face to Vigo Mortensen's because they were in a scene together. And it was just like, look how tiny Vigo Mortensen's face is compared to Hugo Weaving's. Yeah, it's- like, it's, it's <laughs> night and day. Like, <laughs> Like you just draw a big giant circle and then put like little tiny eyes and a mouth for Vigo Mortensen, but then you have to draw like a, a big circle and then giant eyeballs and a giant forehead for Hugo Weaving. That's Damn. basically the difference. <laughs> like, and uh, we got, I guess the closest thing we have to like a person playing a villain. In in this, I mean, obviously, there's like, you know, because Sauron is kind of this like unactable character. He's more of a force 
he's more of an idea than like an actual character, right. I would say. Yeah. But you, but you got Saruman, and that's Christopher Lee. Um, Bless him. The most iconic Dracula besides Bela Lugosi. Uh, clearly just also an absolute legend. <laughs> he, uh, he's also Count Dooku, I guess. Yep, but there is. who cares about that? Uh, <laughs> like, uh, he's a huge fan of the books. He read them once every year until he died. Uh, he died like uh, three years ago, I think. Yeah, um, he's the only member of the cast and crew to have actually met J.R.R. Tolkien. He uh, like he he like, which is crazy because there is like two thousand people working on this. But I guess it does make sense. He didn't talk to. A lot of people. <laughs> um, and then last but not least, we have Ian Holm, Alice Bilbo, who we have previously saw in the best movie we've watched on Gannon Jobs so far, Alien. He gets he was uh, Ash mm-hmm. from Alien. And uh, I guess we do have Andy Serkis, but we'll talk about him more next week. Gollum's yeah. barely in He's this movie. He's here for like a second, in this, like a few seconds in this movie. Barely in a few at all. I do want to say I was reading about this because Gollum looks not like Gollum in this movie. Yeah. Um, now, granted, he's like concealed in shadow, but his design is different. And that's because they finalized that before they had really done anything with Andy Serkis. And they were like, well, this movie has to come out first, so let's just do it later. I understand. But it's interesting that like. It's never like like Peter Jackson kind of joked that he would George Lucas it at some point and like make Gollum look like how he's supposed to look. But he's never done it. And I think he said he's never going to do it, which good. Yeah, (laughs) because like I'm glad he made a stand and he's never going to make the special editions of the Lord of the Rings. Like you don't need to. It's fine. We can respect. It's understandable what happened. Right. yeah, these movies are basically perfect how they are. Like, don't touch them. Yeah. Maybe the Star Wars, like, don't touch them. <laughs> Stop it. Well, then I guess we should probably talk about them proper, because, like, that's about it for, like, actual production okay. shit. It's just, it was a lot to talk about, because it's... You're talking about three movies there, and I'm not going to go over that stuff next week as much. Uh, we'll p- kind of just jump into the movies. Uh, I don't. I don't think we should do a standard plot recollection for these no i am mainly i just want to like kind of just go through like what you think are like key moments of like the like the film as a whole whether it be filmmaking like i know like it's hard with this with these movies because almost every moment is like has like a beautiful set piece beautiful sound design beautiful music the performances are excellent well i guess um, we could just kind of talk about our favorite stuff from it right like, that's, that's kind of what it. i was uh yeah. I will always like this movie is like like so even to me now like I've probably watched this movie like a hundred times. Um, yeah, you know, like I Fellowship, mean, all three of them, for real, Fellowship yeah. is my favorite of the trilogy. Um, oh yeah, well that yes. might be interesting when we try to rank these because I um, think I will concede I that Return, Return of the King of is the King. Yeah. I will concede that Return of the King is the better movie, but I think it's just because Fellowship has like a more important place in my heart. I could see that. There's a lot of wholesomeness in this one that is absent from the other two. Well, because especially like ramps up and the, like two the towers. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Two towers is pretty like uh, grim uh, on purpose. 
Right. But Fellowship is, uh, you know, kind of hopeful before, you know, Gandalf and Boromir die. <laughs> but, like, yeah. you know, that's kind of like how you tell a story, you know. The the rising action is never as, you know... Because it's, it's really just one big story. Two Towers being the middle is where the heroes are at their lowest point, right? right. You know? And then you have, you know, the triumphant finish and return to the king. It, it, it's, your, it's a very standard story structure told across three movies. Yeah, so told across. Star Wars did the same know, shit. <laughs> ten hours, yeah. Right. Well, Star Wars didn't do the thing where they made them all at once. That's kind right. of unprecedented. Well, Even yeah, stuff is... like the Marvel movies that come out annually are made by different people with different production teams. The closest thing you have to that is they shot Infinity War and Endgame back-to-back. Right. But even then, that's two movies, sir. They also Not did a lot of... Three. They also did an absolute ass-ton of pickup afterwards. Yes. Like an ass-ton. Like there's, there's, most of that movie is on green screens and in CGI. This one, like, if you're seeing a beautiful landscape, that's probably just in New Zealand, dude. Yeah. Like, you like, can look, you can go to that, and that's awesome to you me. Can literally, actually movies. go to that, and like, um, yeah. It definitely been a big dream of mine to go out there and see that set. <clears throat> I want to so bad. I want to go visit the Shire and shit. Yeah, they have that as like a tourist attraction, right? Like, you can see like the Hobbit holes and shit. I yeah. think it's the set from the Hobbit. I don't know if it's the same set as was in this. I don't know if they like preserved it and then yeah, put it in no, the Hobbit. They they literally preserved it. It's it's the same set that's been there. Okay, that's cool. Yeah. Well, because that's interesting. Because well, I guess I don't know how the interiors work because I know for a fact that they shot like these are two sets. Like Bilbo's house, right? That's a different set. Is two different sets because yeah, yeah, there's yeah. one that's designed small. For the Hobbit actors to be in, that's designed like normal for the Hobbit actors to be in. And there's one that's designed small for when Gandalf comes in and he like is towering over everybody. Right. Yeah. So uh, like they the... did because like, there's a lot of forced perspective with the short aspect of the characters because you'd think that a lot of it was CGI trickery, but a surprising amount of it is just forced perspective, which is interesting as fuck to me. Like that, they're just as easy as like having Frodo stand a certain distance away from Gandalf could make him seem shorter than him by a yeah. great deal. That, that's, that's cool to me that they did it as simple as that. <laughs> that that's yeah. That's just like, that's the beauty of like the, the trickery of like filmmaking is you could do stuff like that. There's also a lot of like tilt usage. Yeah. Like, like the, like tilting it upwards and slightly to the side. Like for example, right at the beginning of the movie, when Frodo comes up um to greet Gandalf, right? Yes. Um yeah. right away there's forced perspective being used where they have the shot of both of them on the hillside. Well him on the hillside and Gandalf down on his horse, but if you notice it's tilted up into the side a little bit to make Frodo appear shorter. Right. And, and like, that's uh, also the case when he's riding with him on the carriage. Like yeah. they force the perspective so hard we're like it, it makes it look like they're sitting side by side, but Frodo, I mean, sorry, Elijah Wood as Frodo is, is sitting like a great distance from him to make him appear shorter. Right. And that shit is fucking, it's like a magic trick, man. It's and so everybody cool. fell for it. Everybody was like, Oh my God, they're actually short. And then they meet Elijah Wood and they're like, what the fuck? Yeah, <laughs> you're not a hobbit. You're just a manlet. What the fuck is this shit? <laughs> <laughs> they, they did purposefully not like cat like cast like really tall people. I guess like get like uh, John Rice Davies is like six one, uh, but he 
does get to be a bit taller than the hobbits anyway. It was easier for them to conceal. Um, but most of the hobbits are like five, five, six, kind of five, seven. <laughs> like they did that on purpose, which right. makes sense. It makes the trick of it work easier. Right. It's, it's much easier to force perspective that way. Um, but yeah, I mean, that entire set's fucking gorgeous, man. And that's one of the reasons why they retained it. It's also a nice tourist attraction to make a lot of money for New Zealand. Well, yes. They make a uh, shit like ton of money off of that. <laughs> so integral that, like, hey, maybe they made three movies of The Hobbit because, you know, New Zealand money. Mm. <laughs> we'll get to that more when we talk about Speaking the of The Hobbit, I like the, uh, the nice nod. To the Hobbit during uh during Bilbo's birthday, the the, the little line about dragons, right? It just lies um, about it. A lot more lines mm-hmm. too. Oh yeah, there's there's a whole lot of the extended, uh, which I guess we should talk about. So yeah. I have the extendeds on me. I bought them from my local the exchange for uh, t- about ten bucks each, which surprised me because these are kind of hard to find now. Uh, because I want to talk about this a, b- a bit because it kind of pisses me off how hard it is to actually watch the extended version of Lord of the Rings. Um, so it, you could stream the movies right now. They're on HBO Max, but they're the theatrical cuts. Right. Okay. The extended cuts, which are, in my opinion now, after having seen two of them, superior oh, to un- the theatrical cuts in every way. Right. Um, <laughs> are not available on any streaming services. You can buy them digitally. However, they are all $20 each, I'm pretty sure, which is fucked. I don't think you can rent them like you can with the standard theatrical editions either. You can't. So that doesn't help things. Um, Sometimes there's deals. There is a Blu-ray set, I believe, is something like $40. And a more expensive one that has the Hobbits as well for even more expensive money. Those are the ones but, you don't want to watch extended. <laughs> well, I'm going to anyway, because uh, I own two of them that way. Uh, the only one I don't own extended is Five Armies, and I will watch it extended for the first time uh, when I when we get to it. Those movies um, need shortened. Yeah, that's the thing with those is those didn't need extended. There, there's stuff that they cut that like it was right for them to cut. Uh, <laughs> and, like they didn't need to put it back in. But uh, we could talk about the differences between those when we get to them. Talking about it for these movies is interesting, though, because you had to watch theatrical, right? Right. So, yeah, I didn't. I don't have the extended editions, but I figured this was a good yeah. opportunity for us. I think it's the can... shame that it's hard to get them. Yeah. Right. Yeah, it's just hard for me. I don't have, like, anything physical. It's hard for me. I can't access them digitally without paying a shit ton of money. That I don't have because I just moved. So, I am... Right. Uh, so I so as a little thing, I was like, well, I'll just, I guess I'll just watch the, the theatrical, and then we can, you know, spot the differences. Well, I'm lucky to even have found them because I'm lucky that my local exchange had them available. We used DVD sets. Uh, the DVDs were like, like obviously I'd prefer a Blu-ray no matter what, but the DVD sets are gorgeous compared to the Blu-ray oh, set. I think the big, I think. Like, Book looking yeah. things and they flip, they they're fold big. open and shit. They look like a book. They look like a leather bound book. They're all a different color for each movie, and they're all four discs, which is insane. Um, I think the Blu-ray ones are similar, where they're the same amount of discs, uh, because 
they're they've been meticulously designed to work in this manner. So just to talk about it, um, they mimic the structure of the original Tolkien novels in a way, which I, I mentioned earlier. They're kind of split into six chunks as opposed to only three, because each volume is also split into like part one and part two. So yeah. mimicking that, each movie is two discs. And when you reach the halfway point, wherever they've decided that would be, it'll say insert disc two, uh, which is a little inconvenient, but I like the pacing of it that they did here. It's probably like the best I've ever seen. It's not like in the middle of a scene or anything. They design it meticulously so that if you wanted to spend like six days watching this movies, these movies and just watch like one sixth every day, that's fine. You'd be fine doing that. They're divided quite well. Yeah. So where, so that being said, because I have never watched the extended edition of Fellowship, where does it cut? Right, so I believe it is right after the council scene uh, where the Fellowship is formed, and then like I think the last line is Pippin saying, alright, so where are we going? And then it says, insert disc two. That's great. <laughs> it's, a, it's a good cut. Um... And, and I'll, I'll, I'll point those out as we go, because the differences in these are numerous and probably too vast to go over. But uh, there is a lot to talk about. I, I think one of the biggest things is there, there's an entire scene of Bilbo narrating about what hobbits even are. At the beginning of the extended, uh, Bilbo talks for a lot longer and gives a lot more information on the entirety of everything. Uh, like he, he, you know, talks about hobbits. He talks about Frodo. He talks about preparing the party. He talks about, uh, you know, his character motivations. There's a lot more Bilbo in general in the fellowship extended, which is nice because, Ian Holm does a good performance and it ties it in with the rest of the story quite nicely. Uh, you know, you need some of that stuff. Hell, you even get a scene of Sam gardening, which even though that's his primary profession, this is the only time you will see him do it in the <laughs> entirety of the three movies. Yeah. Like the, uh, the, the actual thing you get is that him uh, lying and saying he was trimming hedges. Right. Now you actually get a shot of him doing it. Um, basically if, if you want a idea of what it's like, every, like basically everything has been touched up in longer and scenes are given a lot more time to breathe and a lot more, uh, dialogue. Yeah. Especially like towards the end, the extended edition towards the end, like the fellow fellowship just starts booking it. Yeah. Really does. It starts moving. And so like, right. I'm, 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 I haven't seen it, but I'd imagine he said it like of some brevity between all that shit. Yeah. So I, I think fellowship normally is three hours and the extended yeah. adds an extra 30 minutes. Um, a lot of it's minor scenes that set up stuff in movies two and three as well. Like there's actually a fucking scene where they set up the gray havens 
in this movie. Oh, way early on, because as Frodo and Sam and Mary and Pippin are leaving to go to Bree, or maybe actually just Frodo and Sam leaving the Shire for the first time, they see a group of elves walking in and they're kind of like in a funeral procession kind of manner and they're like where are they going and frodo's like they're going to the gray havens they're leaving middle earth and they it's kind of like just foreshadowing for what happens all the way at the end of the entire trilogy right yeah and i was just like that's so fucking cool that that's like like something that's cut out but like it actually matters a lot for the entire structure of the thing it sets that up as a thing to think about for later uh, I guess by the time you're nine hours later, you forgot about it. But, you know, for me, for someone that's already watched the theatricals and know about it, I'm like, that's cool. That's super cool. Oh, yeah. I, I love that. That's that's really nice. Um, mm-hmm. I, I am going to have to watch the extended at some point. It is like one of my favorite movies ever, and I haven't seen like the definitive edition of it. Yeah, it's very good. You can certainly um the the DVDs come with a booklet that has a guide yeah. in it. It's 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 a uh I love that booklet for I have I the only one I've seen is the really two towers cool. extended. I'm like yeah. yeah, it's very similar to that where like the I bonus features booklet. have this like family tree set up uh to guide you through all of it and then there's a scene selection uh listing and it has an asterisk next to every scene that has been extended and a double asterisk next to every scene that has that is just brand new outright uh there's a lot more stuff with saruman making the urukai the you know it's only like lightly touched upon in the theatrical but like and it's something that was lost on me for a long time like i forgot this was a detail that like he's basically like genetically engineering super orcs that are crossed with goblins uh like like he's making chad orcs (laughs) <laughs> like that are better than normal orcs, right? Uh, for his purposes, and then, then like you know, later when you get to like two towers, like there's like orc infighting that I kind of like thought came out of nowhere, and was maybe just because the orcs are all nasty and hate each other because they're just dickheads. But really, there's like internal racism amongst the race because there's like the virgin orcs versus the chad urukai you know what i mean yeah. <laughs> like, like that's like an aspect of this that was completely lost on me and is expanded a little more in this i think they show him making uh the main like urukai orc leader in this because he's the one that like kills boromir later in the movie like the chieftain yeah. or whatever right. but beyond that i wasn't like I didn't know that they were crossbreeding goblin orc because there's no goblins in this. You don't even know what they look like, there's really. A, there's a throwaway <laughs> line that uh, I forget who says it. Somebody says it's the throwaway line. It's like ah, oh, they they combined orcs and and uh, it was like yeah, they, they were they were like just a th- quick throwaway line about how they're made. And then a cut right. to Saruman, like it's something that I think is as quick, like so quick that you wouldn't notice it in the normal cut. Yeah, I, I remember. Yeah, just, yeah, it was. Yeah. Uh, you know, it's like that. He's he's crossbreeding orcs and and goblin goblin men. Yeah, weird shit. <laughs> um, yeah, I guess you don't get to see goblins proper until the Hobbit movies, right? Which I I I don't know. I could go without it. <laughs> it's it's whatever. 
it's not that important. No, it's not. Yeah. Um. I will. I, I think, uh, what's up? I was, I was going to start uh, talking about a little bit about music. Yeah, like, dude. I will. I will, I will there will never be a moment in my life where like emotion doesn't get like incurred within me when like the Shire music starts playing. I, I get emotional literally every time. Yeah, and and they bring it back throughout the entire trilogy. And There's motifs that are played constantly, um, especially at the end of the movie. Yeah, yeah. Sam gets up on the rowboat. Mm-hmm. Like, damn, and, and they, that's a moment they head off on their own. It, it's uh, it's an interesting structure to a story. This first one because the story is really about for for the majority of its runtime how like frodo is tasked with doing this thing and he needs help he can't do it on his own because he's just a hobbit but then the story is like oh well maybe that actually sucks because everyone wants the ring because of its influence is so great and evil that it can, you know, it turns Boromir really easily because he's just a guy. But <laughs> like, uh, but like, even like, you know, you get the, like the foreshadowing with like Galadriel, like turning into a spooky elf queen lady way, uh, over it. Good time to mention this too, in, in that, in that shot with her. And then especially yeah. like throughout the movie, especially a lot of the scenes involving like the work armies and stuff like that. There was a shit ton of, like, Evil Dead and Army of Darkness influence. Well, it's funny you mention that, because, um... That's also somewhat just normal Peter Jackson influence. Now, there's right. obviously a lot of cross over here, but in many ways, Dead Alive is like his version of Evil Dead. Uh, it's a lot more comedic, but I guess... Even Evil Dead 2 is pretty comedic. I, I would say that Dead Alive is even funnier than something like Army of Darkness in a lot of ways. Okay. It, it's, it's more like, it, a lot of it's disturbing, and a lot of it is horrific, but it's genuinely trying to be more of a comedy than anything else. Um, it's great. Please watch that when you get a chance. The yeah, I definitely will at some point. I definitely will. Yeah. yeah. Uh, I've also watched Bad Taste, as far as old Peter Jackson movies go, and it's not as good but it's kind of funny <laughs> it's about aliens coming to earth uh in yeah. new zealand i saw the ass end of that movie yeah oh yeah you did that's right because we were watching it with uh, josh and your dad that yeah. one time my dad um, hated it It was so funny <laughs> <laughs> he's like that movie fucking but, sucked but something you could see the genesis of in dead alive and other peter jackson movies is this man knows how to make a fight scene Oh, yeah. And that only continues to great lengths in the Lord of the Rings movies. Um, excellent choreography in fight scenes. Um, just the shit that happens is so cool. Just like <laughs> um, Boromir's still going after he gets arrow after arrow after arrow in him. And he's just like, ah, fuck. And he just keeps fighting. Finally takes three to put the man down. Yeah. Yeah, it's, it's so great. It's Those wonderful. arrows are huge too, by the way. It's yeah, the Urukai like, arrows—they're fucking ginormous. Yeah. Um, you don't really get a scope of how big these arrows are until the one—the one actually goes into goes into Boromir, and it's like still it's sticking out like three feet. Yeah, 
Yeah, you're like, holy fuck. <laughs> you got javelin instead of arrowed. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah, I, I would say like the overall story structure is like Frodo needs help to do this. And then like everybody, it like maybe like Frodo kind of realizes that he has to do it on his own. He has to like not be as like scared or worried because like the influence of the ring is so great that he can't go with anyone else. And the fellowship has to like break and like, obviously that is only part of the entire story, but it works really well. as kind of like a beginning middle end structure for the first movie itself. I think it kind of ties up in a way, obviously there's a lot more story left to go, but the overall character progression is pretty good and works pretty well. It's a, it's a really good like setup. Yeah. It's a really good setup where it gives you like when you, when, by the time you finish the movie, very well understand like like all the characters like their intentions their you know everything and like and you have an idea of where everybody's going yeah and like that's it's huge you know especially for something that you know is going to be a trilogy it's really really good to be set up that way right you come back to those characters in the next movie they're all familiar and you know their motivations just continue their story. Yeah. Like the setup's over. Like all the all the setup you need is in this movie. Yes, for every character besides Gollum. But even he gets a little yeah. bit. Well, even he gets a little bit of setup. His setup is in the Hobbit, you know, like and now he comes back. But they, they mentioned that they torture the fucking shit out of him, which like man Smeagol gets some abuse in this, this trilogy. Yeah. <laughs> I always think about there's this like fucking Bob Saget stand up where he jokes about the Lord of the Rings for a bit. And like, I always think about it because he just like he he talks about it for like way longer than he should. He's just like, they beat the fuck out of that thing. They're just like, shut the fuck up, Smeagol and back smack. Him. <laughs> and, like, it's just, like, yeah, that's basically the entirety of movie two is people going shut the fuck up, Smeagol and fucking smack at him. Yeah. And he's like, no, <laughs> but like, um, but yeah, I would like to talk about some dumb things that happened during okay. the production. So in, early in the movie, when uh, Gandalf comes to visit his hobbit friend, he smacks his goddamn head on the ceiling uh, beam in Bilbo's house. And this was not scripted. Uh, <laughs> Ian McKellen actually fucked up and banged his head. Now, he acted through it and acted as if this was part of the movie. Like this could like it's likely to happen because he's way too tall for Bilbo's house. This shit can happen. Uh, but he acted through it and Peter Jackson liked that he did it and kept it in. Uh, <laughs> um, and there's a, a similar thing. There's a, a scene where, you know, speaking of getting hit in the head, uh, Pippin is hit in the head with an apple. He's talking about, you know, we haven't had second breakfast yet. And, uh, Aragorn off screen throws an apple at his head. Like, shut the fuck up. <laughs> um, this was actually Vigo Mortensen throwing an apple at Billy Boyd's head. It took several takes to get right. Uh, Billy Boyd suggested that Mortensen enjoyed himself as he constantly threw apples <laughs> at his head to get the shot. 
uh, it, it reminds me of when we were talking about Army of Darkness and Sam Raimi just chucking potatoes at Bill, the Bruce Campbell. <laughs> Fucking. Oh, I want to talk about this. So I've never read the books, but there's a weird inconsistency that I want to talk about. Okay. Um, so in the movie, Gandalf finds out about the ring and he's like, wait, maybe that's like the one ring, I guess. And he goes to research it and comes back some undetermined amount of time later. How long do you think it's been from when he leaves and when he returns? Oh, God. Um... Because the the editing of the film makes it seem like it was maybe just like a couple days, a week at most. And that's how they wanted it to seem because it's kind of ridiculous if you go how the book went about it, where it is 17 years before Gandalf returns. Jesus. And I, I am not sure why they set it up that way. It is very weird to me (laughs) that Gandalf would take 17 years to research the one ring uh, they simplified it a lot in this and just had him go to Minas Tirith and look at a parchment and go like, oh shit, it's that one, and then come back, <laughs> which, like, ultimately, it's there's no reason for it to be 17 years, and I think it makes it more believable, and the movie has a better pace if it's not 17 years. It's kind of ridiculous. Like, I, I think Tolkien's reasoning for it was maybe to give Frodo time to grow up, I think Frodo was actually younger for a lot of like the Bilbo's birthday stuff, but he doesn't have to be. And nobody's age is explicitly talked about really throughout the entirety of this thing. Uh, (laughs) Like for the most part, like how old is Frodo? Is he in his twenties? How do hobbits age? I don't fucking know. Very, very slowly. (laughs) Not, I guess not terribly slowly, but like... Yeah, I thought they aged like humans, and the only reason that Bilbo got to be 111 is because of the dark influence the ring had on him. It extended his lifespan, uh, literally. That's the same thing that happened to Gollum. Like, Gollum's really old. Right. Um, I think when we eventually get to Return of the King, they talk about that happening a long time ago when he found the ring for the first time when he was still a hobbit. Yeah. I think, at least. I, I think uh, hobbits live a little bit longer than you. Like, not too much. Yeah. Well, there's, like, some confusing stuff with that. Like, I, I for the longest time, I never knew that Aragorn was supposed to be, like, not human in the standard sense. Aragorn's yeah. 80 right. or something. And, yeah. and like, because Aragorn lives to be, like, 200 or 300 or something because he's, like, some kind of, like, different race of man that lives longer. And uh, they mentioned this in the extended edition of Two Towers. I don't know if they mentioned it in the theatrical, because I never knew that until someone told me about it, <laughs> like outside of the movies. And I'm like, that doesn't make any fucking sense. Aragorn's just a guy. What are you talking about? But like, no, I guess he's like some kind of like, you know, that always stuck out to me because I never thought it like, like, it, I think him being a normal guy would actually work quite well in the sense that a lot of his arc is about 
his mortality compared to Arwen's immortality where she will last forever and like eventually be sad when he die forever, I guess. But like, I don't know. (laughs) Maybe that arc would work better if like there was actually this fear that she would only get to spend like a decade or two with him. They make it seem like she'll still get to spend a century with him with how Aragorn's age is. But I digress. It's not really that important. (laughs) It's really just another thing to make him even more of a Chad. Just like he's an expert swordsman. He's an expert ranger. He's an expert tracker. He's the true king. (laughs) And he uh, ages slowly. He's He's, he's he's okay, dude. Yeah, Aragorn's pretty OP, but I guess Gandalf is as well, because obviously Gandalf like dies, quote unquote, in this movie and then gets to come back as like way better Gandalf with more magic tricks. (laughs) And he's like, uh, there's that joke that people talk about where like Gandalf soloed the boss so that he could hog all the XP. Yeah, and that's why he gets. Gandalf the White, because he like leveled up to level 100, and everybody else is struggling on their journey in Middle Earth at like level 17 and 36 and shit. And they're just like, "What the fuck, Gandalf? We could have got some of that XP." <laughs> Goddamn! Uh, did, did you catch the Peter Jackson cameo? I'm not sure if that's in the theatrical edition or not. Uh, let's see. Where, where, what's the cameo? Uh, so he is a carrot munching villager in Bree, right outside of the uh, the prancing pony tavern where they meet Aragorn. Uh, yeah, he, yeah, that's him. He has a very distinctive look. You know, Peter Jackson doesn't really look like anybody else, you know. Uh, he reprises his role as this same villager in uh, the Hobbit: Desolation of Smaug. 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 I always don't know how to say that. I feel like it's not correct every time I say it. And I never heard it said before as a kid. It was always smog. Yeah. But I think uh, just, I don't know, finding something else to talk about these movies, because we probably will several times here. Uh, Peter Jackson's really good with creepy visuals, and, like, the ring rates are the shit. They're fucking Uh, great. They're so creepy. Uh, that scene where the one is like creeping over the tree where they're hiding behind is really awesome. And also like Aragorn fighting them later is really cool. By the way, their screams are a digitally altered Fran Walsh screaming. Oh, nice. Uh, which is <laughs> neat. Yeah. Mm. It's great. Oh, I got to talk about this. This is really funny. Okay. Um, so there's the scene where they're on the snowy cliffside trying to get to, I, I think, the Mines of Moria, um, where they run into all sorts of kooky problems. But anyway, uh, <laughs> like, uh, that, so filming this on an actual side of a, of a mountain, uh, the cast would be helicoptered onto the top of the mountain where the set would be, and then film this. Uh, so, like, Sean Bean is deathly afraid of flying. And he would decline to take a helicopter to ride up to the top of this fucking mountain to do this scene. Uh, 
So he would scale the mountain every day during the filming of this scene in full <laughs> in full Boromir costume. He would just trudge his way up there and like the rest of the cast would just fly over him in helicopters and see him walking slowly and just be like, well, there he goes again. There's Sean. <laughs> like, Sean. Sean, come on, dude. You can just get in the helicopter, dude. It's like, nope. <laughs> Dude, I can't imagine every day. That's kind of ridiculous. I just get in the fucking helicopter at that point. You're going to die of fucking falling over, climbing up the mountain first. Right. Like, <laughs> to be honest. You know, it's much more dangerous. Mm-hmm. It literally is. So I don't know what the fuck he was thinking. Uh, you know, everybody got their... Everybody got their shit. Their things, their eccentricities, whatever. So what, what, what do you think is your favorite scene in this movie. Let's boil it down to that. Oh, I know man. that's a hard question, but I want to see what both of our answers are. I think I love the entire final segment. Um, the the fight and Boromir dying and all that? Yeah. That, that entire like forest fight and everything like that. You know what? It seems like a simple like forest set and everything like that. It's fucking wonderful. And like a great... like. A great set piece for a battle. I can see that. Um, the choreography is fucking incredible. Like my lord, uh, from from the, from the very beginning to it, even when like Eric was fighting the, the big Urukai boss, mm-hmm. the choreography in that fight is like fucking ten out of ten. It is, and you could definitely see what Peter Jackson was talking about when he was like, "We should have a more of a." Braveheart state of mind, right? When it comes to the the way fighting and warfare is presented, yeah. uh, you get a lot more of that in Two Towers, of course. But uh, it also shows through here. Yeah, for sure. Um, I just uh, I absolutely love it. The, the music, and I love how it, like it's interstitial with with everything that Frodo's going through in that moment when he is like in the process of abandoning and abandoning the fellowship, and they find out piece by piece. Right, that, that's all pretty good. Uh, the scene with him invisible and Boromir chasing after him and all yeah. that stuff, that's all pretty good. Um, I think my favorite bit's when they're running from the Balrog and then it kills Gandalf, quote-unquote. Oh, yeah. I think that's my favorite scene. But the and Gandalf's death is handled really well. Uh, like, genuinely, I thought he was dead when I was a kid, because, like, why wouldn't you? This pretty, like, doesn't seem like you'd live after that. <laughs> like, that kind of fall, uh, yeah. The way the whip like snakes up as the thing's falling and like grabs a hold of him, and just like his delivery of "fly you fools" is Fly, really you good. Fools and gone bye. Yeah, I noticed a weird thing because they replay this moment in Two Towers. Okay. Um. So in this one, the way the flow of the scene works is he says "fly you fools" and then is pulled down and goes uh. And then it cuts to Frodo, and Frodo goes, no! Like, it's exactly the same as, like, fucking Obi-Wan dying in New Hope, really. It's, like, the same exact kind of moment. Right. Uh, so they edit it in, the, in a different order in Two Towers at the beginning. It's, like, the first thing that happens in the whole movie. And right. maybe you'll notice this when you uh, watch it soon. Uh, I was confused why they edited it this way. In this one, he says, fly, you fools. Frodo says no, 
then he falls. And I'm like, that doesn't make any sense. Right. Because Frodo is reacting to him. Like and until that Frodo should just be shocked. Right. Right. Frodo's reacting to him falling, not to him saying, fly you fools. I was like, why is that edited that way? Yeah, <laughs> why did they remix strange. history for the second one? <laughs> I don't understand. That's really, really weird. I don't know. It's really weird. I don't know if it's only in the extended. Uh, but I guess we'll find out when we both watch. The, like, pay attention to that moment when you see it. Yeah, um, I will for sure. Yeah. Or whatever. Absolutely. Anything else I, that you would like to point out and discuss? I don't know. I, I just overall, I think the movie is like, like pretty damn close to a masterpiece. Um there's not a lot bad I can say about it. No, there's not much at all. Like, I absolutely adore it. it like, is. there's no weak link in the cast, really. Like, everybody no. is perfectly cast, perfectly acted. Every yeah, like, every piece of music is great. It's all good. Mm-hmm. Like, the CGI's aged a little bit, but God, at the time, that shit was incredible. In 2001? Yeah, oh, my God. That's the thing. Like, you have to put it in perspective that it's from 2001, and you have like to put it in a perspective that, like, it still looks better than some things that come out today. Right. Like, you know, in so ways. Like, the, the Stephen Lake list is, like, jumping around on, on top of the ogre. That shit's funny. Oh, well, yeah. It's better than that. Right. <laughs> yeah, it's better than stuff from The Hobbit. What a high bar. No, I'm talking um, about in this movie, when Legolas... No, I know. Oh, yeah, it looks oh you're yeah. right. You're yeah. right. Okay. I got you. I got you. Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, Legolas was always doing crazy, ridiculous OP stuff. That's certainly not not in the Lord of the Rings. Right. It's it's like his whole character is it's doing just, these like, crazy straight stuff. to like twenty five and fucking battle of five armies for whatever reason. Yeah, and uh, well, he's in two and three, right? Yeah, he's in yeah. Smaug and five armies. Right. Um, I don't know why they decided to go about it. I don't know why they decided to go with a more CGI direction in general for the Hobbit trilogy. Like there's certainly a lot of CGI as necessary in the Lord of the Rings. What I like about the Lord of the Rings is it is like their method literally was CGI when necessary. Yeah. There's a lot of practicality. Like when you're seeing giant massive armies, a lot of that is real. Um, There's definitely some CGI in armies like to just make their numbers look huge in Two Towers and Return of the King. Yeah, but the second it gets like a uh, little bit close, part, yeah, like close-ups are like real. Yeah, like like it doesn't take like they still had like a lot of people on set doing that shit. Like they get a little bit close, and that's all people down there. Like shit's fucking yeah. crazy, and they're all dressed Just up, all of, makeup. Yeah, think of the amount of characters that are CGI characters in The Hobbit. There's the orc man with the like hook hand. There's um. The dwarf at the end of Battle of Five Armies that's voiced by Billy Connolly that's entirely CGI. It's just like a question of like why you would do it that way and not just actually have somebody there on set to play them and just have them be in a costume. That's oh, weird. It's so it's weird. very strange. Like you could tell. Like I, don't know, I mean, the practicality of, of like like you know, incredible and it looks so good right. even by today's like, yeah. standards. Like, I get that the dragon should be a CGI creature. Like, oh, no shit. It's a fucking dragon. But like, you know, the, the the dwarf really sticks out to me in Five Armies. I hate that shit. It's awful. I don't know. I, I just Ooh. feel like the, the, the production of those is not nearly as celebrated as the production of these. There's a reason why people talk about these. Um, speaking of which, I guess we could talk about the accolades 
that this movie got. That's a good way um, to close it out. Yeah. I'm, I'm going to close it out with a, a way non sequitur, by okay. the way. But I've had this planned for a while. But anyway, okay. let me get to it. <laughs> so the budget for Fellowship of the Ring was around $93 million. The film grossed $887.9 million. Yeah, that's pretty good. That's pretty good. Now, it's hard to like pinpoint a budget for this movie because it was really a budget of $281 million for the entire trilogy. And not like it's it's not easily divided film to film. Made that shit back with one. It definitely seems that like Fellowship costs less money to make than Two Towers and Return of the King, which is understandable. There's a lot there's a lot more setup and a lot less fight scenes and creatures and things. You know, Gollum pretty expensive. I understand. <laughs> um, but if you incorporate the entire trilogy, which I guess this discussion was kind of about more than just fellowship, uh, your budget's 281 million. Your combined worldwide gross is 2.981 billion dollars, uh, which is uh, is quite a bit. Big money maker. Everybody made cash for days. Fellowship was obviously very well received, as were its two sequels, both by critics and general audiences. 91% Rotten Tomatoes score. Basically, everybody liked it. Like, there's, I don't know many people that hate Lord of the Rings. No, there's not really? many of them. I do have one friend who has refused to watch them, but I don't understand why. But uh, other than that, uh, I, most people that have actually seen them are like, yeah, they're 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 at least good to them. You know, yeah. like anybody who's like anybody who's like a fan of fantasy novels, like going in and yeah. seeing this movie is like a dream true, where it's like all of that stuff you've been like spending your entire chi- entire childhood, like making images of in your head. It's like coming to life. Yeah. Sure, but they're like so well put together that like yeah. even if you're not somebody that's, well, that's super into that, it's like, like you're drawn into it right. against your will. They're just like you know, really well made movies. Yeah, so much yeah. so that even people I, a lot of people I know who aren't even interested in fantasy at the, the slightest, like are absolutely enamored by these movies. They're just that well made. But like yeah. like it's, I, from the perspective of a fan of fantasy, it's like it's unreal. Like that movie was something else gotcha. when it first came yeah. out. I certainly am not the hugest fan of fantasy as a whole. Um, I'm much more sci-fi horror when it comes to that shit, but there's elements of that in this. And like, it's just done so well that I can't help, but like appreciate it and love it for what it is. You know, like you just, you have to look at it. It's It's a wonderful movie. (laughs) Um, nominated for 13 Academy Awards. We usually don't talk about this aspect of film because usually the movies we watch on this fucking podcast, (laughs) are not Academy Award nominated films. <laughs> um, you, you may have noticed that in the Catwoman episode, we did not talk about this aspect. Uh, <laughs> but here, uh, nominated for 13, won four. So here's what it got nominated for, but didn't win. Best Picture, Best Director, Best Supporting Actor for Ian McKellen. Best Adapted Screenplay, Best Art Direction, Best Costume Design, Best Original Song for Enya's May It Be, which plays during the credits of this movie. I don't know if you stuck around to listen to that at all. I have, yeah. Um, It's super popular. Uh, Best Sound, Best Film Editing. And it won Best Makeup, well-deserved. Like, just the prosthetics on, like, Gimli alone. 
shows everything you need to know. Uh, that shit took like five hours to put on the man and he hated it, but it looks damn good. Um, everything looks great about the makeup. The orcs look inhuman and that's really well done. Um, best cinematography. No shit. Makes sense to me. <laughs> uh, they're shot just incredibly well. Best original score. I guess I already mentioned that earlier. Howard Shore, really good. And best visual effects, go figure. Uh, it deserves all four of those. I don't care what else was nominated. It was 2001, so I don't know. There's probably some good stuff in there, but like, you got to give these movies the credit where it's due, you know? Mm-hmm. Absolutely. All right. So let's talk about... Uh-oh. Uh, we've already talked a bit about the extended edition and how that's um, it's something special for these movies that doesn't happen with most movies. Like, you know, you hear about director's cuts and things like that, but usually like, you know, this is probably like the most well-known version of that, that I can think of off the top of my head, like that people want to watch the extended editions of the Lord of the Rings are like the definitive version Mm-hmm. of it like the way to watch it um and it was always the plan to release them um and I'm, I'm glad that that was the case because sometimes you know the director his definitive edition just gets left so the, the fellowships released on dvd and vhs on August of 2002. So this got me to thinking, um, well, how long did it take from the release of the normal theatrical to go to the extended? Because I was like, well, this is coming out in August of 2002. And I looked up the release date of two towers and that's December of 2002. So it did come out before two towers and that probably contributed to two towers making a lot more money than fellowship did at the box office, uh, as you can assume, uh, because people got to see fellowship more on DVD. That happens a lot with sequels. You know, usually a sequel will make more given the fact that more people were able to see the original once it comes out on DVD and stuff like that. And now streaming services, of course, but that VHS thing stuck out to me because like, when's like the last like year for VHS, you think like, <laughs> I thought uh, it would have already been like gone by 2002. No. Uh like I don't know. But here's the really crazy thing. So the extended edition comes out in November. Uh-huh. And the definitive way to buy that was the DVD, which was four discs. But there was also Believe it or not, there was a VHS. A VHS oh my god! Extended edition of Fellowship of the Ring, and it is thick. Uh, it oh is no. two VHSs. Uh, I mean, uh, the original movie is big on its own. I don't know how they fit it onto one VHS. Um, in looking at pictures of them online, the, the let's talk about like theatrical first. Fellowship and Two Towers is one tape, but Return of the King is two tapes. And then all of the extended editions are two tapes, and I assume the division is the same as they are on the DVD I'm sure. because it's kind of like an hour and a half, hour and a half setup. 
By the way, hour, I had, like two hour, two hour setup. Oh yeah, I had the VHS for Fellowship, and it is not the theatrical version, of course. It is thick. Yeah, it's a thick tape. A thick tape. With that a, lot of, a lot of a lot of videotape in it, them. It, it's a heavy. There. Like if you if you weigh that VHS like next to like yeah. I don't know another one like I don't know like Ghostbusters or something. It's like fucking Fellowship's thick. It's they heavier. probably had to do some finagling to make that work because. I mean, how long is Titanic? Titanic is like the most popular, like two VHS movie that I can think of. Mm-hmm. Like, how long is Titanic? I thought it's also like three hours. It's, yeah, it's crazy so how did it. they fit Fellowship on one tape, but Dude, Titanic's two tapes? I don't know. Uh, they had to do some finagling to do that. Like, uh, there's there's stuff that sticks out in my head is like uh, Pink Floyd's The Wall is two CDs, but it's one cassette. And I'm like, how? <laughs> I have the cassette for the wall and it's one cassette and I'm like this is impossible this should not be a thing that you should have been able to do so I think that's kind of something like that Just where put like, more tape in it there's some kind of artistry going on that James Cameron's company didn't know about to do with Titanic but they knew to do it with Fellowship VHS is like really interesting to me because it's just this completely forgotten and abandoned format. And there's a lot of reasons why (laughs) it wasn't the best. It wasn't very easy to maintain. Uh, And there's, you know, it it, it would deteriorate over time. Finding working VHSs is really difficult. Yeah. But the fact that the extended editions came out on VHS is so funny to me. And, And it's not just fellowship. All three are on VHS and they're huge. Uh, so this led me to think what, what, like, so 2002 fellowship DVDs and VHS has come out. Then 2003 and 2004 for the other movies. Like how close to the end of VHS was this? Oh, quite. It had to be quite close. I, I think, uh, in looking at eBay, uh, Return of the King extended on VHS is really rare. The other two are rare as well, but not nearly that rare. And a lot right. of the reason is because there's probably less of those. Yeah, because made. The, that was coming out like, yeah. like towards the end of the VHS, like yeah. right at it. So they probably just made significantly less. Because at that point, like everybody got DVDs. When DVD players are like eighty dollars, everybody's buying them. Right. So. My sidetrack conversation <laughs> was, what was the last VHS to ever come out? Good question. This, has, this has nothing to do with Lord of the Rings. Uh, watch them. They're good. This is the end of the Lord of the Rings discussion. Thank you. Thank you, fam. <laughs> have a good day. Uh, let's have a... I'm going to tell you what it was, but I want you to just hazard a guess. Uh, it's a movie that came out in 2005. That's the final one to come out. 2005. Yeah, I don't think you're going to guess it, but just throw a movie out there. I didn't even know what came out in 2005. Was it like a Harry Potter movie? <laughs> no, that's not a bad guess, though, because those I definitely have one of those on VHS. Yeah. I think I had Chamber of Secrets. That's the one I would have guessed. Did, well, what, when Chamber of Secrets came out in like 2004 or 2005, right? I think so. I think um, so. I'm, not, I'm not sure. Maybe I'm wrong. I think... 
I get the Harry Potter dates mixed up. Yeah, me too. It's not that important. They were coming out alongside this, interestingly. Clearly, one of them is more important than the other, though. Uh... Gotcha, Harry. Let me see. Chamber of Secrets 2002 film. So that's still, like, not nearly as late as these. 2002 VHS. Well, it probably came out in 2003. Yeah. Though. All right, I know you're not going to guess it, so I'm just going to tell you what it is. A History of Violence, directed by David Cronenberg Holy from 2005, shit. which coincidentally stars our boy Viggo Mortensen. Right, yeah. Uh, <laughs> Holy shit. Uh, so I've never seen this movie. It's just it's weird to me that this is the last one. And this is an extremely rare VHS that VHS collectors try to obtain because it is the last commercially released VHS, at least sort of, because there are rare rumors of like a VHS of Pixar's cars coming out after this in an extremely limited run, but I think it's a foreign market. Uh, I was researching this a bit. It was a weird <laughs> side jaunt to make. But uh, yeah, so that means March 14th, 2006 was the official date that VHS officially died <laughs> as a format, I suppose. Well, again, so, uh, pour one out for video cassettes. Well, you know, Genhart, uh Time bubble, October 21st, 2020 is the date that I'm ending this podcast. Mm-hmm. Make sure you go follow us at twitter.com, twitter.com slash get a job. Please hit us a follow there. We will, you know, give, we give regular updates there. And Genard has a great pin to post there. I compile, compiles like episode guides for each, for each movie series we went through. It's really nice. Yes. I usually update it. Um, I realize there is a mistake in that. Uh, I probably shouldn't even point it out. Probably couldn't went went my whole life without anyone noticing. Uh, I forgot. I forgot to put birds of prey in the list of Batman movies we watched. Other than that, it's pretty comprehensive. So check that out. (laughs) And, uh, uh, I think it's useful because, you know, we title these episodes things like Frodo sucks a cock and, and you can, you don't know like what necessarily movie we're talking about all the time. You know, what movie do we talk out about in the hit episode? Green Lantern pulls up in the whip to save his homies. I don't know, to be quite honest. With <laughs> yeah, <you. laughs> uh, no, I think I think that was when I was reading Alien versus Predator versus DC character comics. And that's why that's called that. Oh, so yeah, that was okay. probably during that. Yeah. But and also like the really old get and job episodes have like really bizarre episode titles like alex jones confirmed for smash and like i don't really know what movie we talked about (laughs) just given the title of that because it's not about the movie i think maybe it's probably better when we like title these this something that's about the movie you know like clint eastwood does a little sippy sip or whatever you know (laughs) recent one would be yeah so what should we title this one? I have no idea. Should I'm we still, even discuss I, that? I'm still going to title it Frodo Goes to Hell, probably, because I know I haven't thought of anything better. <laughs> uh, oh, um, I always title my notes for some reason, something mm-hmm. that's not quite the title of the movie. This one I titled um, Lord of the Rings, Mellowship, Slinky, and B Major, which is a <laughs> Red Hot Chili Peppers song. Yeah. I got a mellowship. I got a fellowship. 
uh, I don't know. That just struck me as funny because I'm stupid. You're stupid. But, <laughs> well, thank you, sir. Um, whatever you want to title it, I trust your judgment. It's probably going to be Frodo Goes to Hell, which is a stupid title, and you should feel bad about it. <laughs> I love it. Uh, everybody, man. next week, Lord of the Rings, Dose Towers. Mm-hmm. 9-11, the truth is out there. You you hit us up with uh, your favorite 9-11 truth or theories about how Peter Jackson engineered the attacks, and that's why the movie is called The Two Towers. Jesus Christ. Justin, this is actually a thing I'm going to talk know. about because I there know. are people that believe this. I know. I've heard it before. <laughs> oh, man, I hate people. Yeah, me too. All right. But not you guys. I love you guys, okay? I love you very much, okay? I, I'm indifferent towards some of you, but I like most of you. Damn. That <laughs> was only really for Shively. You probably won't even hear this. Fuck you, Shively. Not. Yeah, fuck you. Got him. <laughs> Got him. Ooh. All right, bye, everybody.